You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am your host, Stephen Igo. Another victory on the board for the East Carolina Pirates as they take care of the Camel Fighting Camels with a 49-10 victory on Saturday night inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. More than 43,000 fans in attendance. We'll talk about the fans that showed up, the great atmosphere it was. We'll also recap ECU's win in our brief initial reactions podcast and really not too many things to complain about. I mean, we always go over the positives and the negatives. We'll go over some of the things ECU perhaps needs to clean up, but all in all, ECU took care of business. They did exactly what they needed to do, which is refreshing to say the least. So all you have to do is look back at last year's Charleston Southern game where ECU struggled to put away the Buccaneers in an eventual 31-28 victory. There was all that talk about wanting to get back up sin going into that game. It didn't happen. ECU had to hold on for dear life. Well, the backups did get to play in this game, and really the only thing we have to complain about is should they have been sent in sooner? We'll talk about that. I saw some comments on the Hoist of Colors message boards and Twitter, of course. But let's start with the individual performances by this East Carolina football team. And, and right now, guys, this offense is – I just I have my fingers crossed that they can stay healthy because this offense is extremely dangerous. Holton Aylers is playing at an extremely high level. You have, in my opinion, one of the best running backs in the country and Keaton Mitchell will get more into his dominant performance. You've got legitimate weapons everywhere, out wide, at tight end. We haven't even seen the backs utilized that much in the passing game. I think that'll come as time moves on. But we got to start with Holton Aylers tonight. I thought he played arguably the best game of his career of course, was removed from the contest in the fourth quarter with the Pirates up 42-10, to 10, or 49-10, to 10, I believe, at the time that he, he came out of the game. Uh, he was just on fire. 17 of 20 on 24 dropbacks, an 85% completion percentage, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Pro Football Focus credited Aylers with four big-time throws, basically what they measure as just elite throws, whether it be downfield and tight coverage. Um, I just thought he was at an extremely high level. Those were 263 yards. He was sacked once. And so, you know, 
I can't say enough about the way Holton played. And yes, Campbell's defense, but there were some throws where tight coverage was had by the Camels, and he just put the ball absolutely on the money. And it's one of those situations where you can't do anything for the defense. You can't defend the perfect throw. And also credit to the receivers for making some outstanding contested catches. Isaiah Winstead, C.J. Johnson, uh, we'll get into those guys. Of course, Campbell did have an absolute coverage bust on the fourth and eight play that resulted in the Jalen Johnson 28-yard touchdown in the second half. But I thought that was, again, a, a great read by Holton. He identified it and made the easy throw to Jalen coming out of that play on a crucial fourth down to continue to swing the momentum heavily in ECU's direction. But Holton Aylers, guys, he's playing at an elite level right now uh, compared to what we've seen in the past. He looks like a fifth-year senior. He's in command of the offense. He has not turned the football over since the first half of the NC State game. So he has now gone 10 quarters without a turnover, which is impressive. Didn't even really have to use his legs tonight. Again, just identified the one-on-one matchups or made throws against his own, made some excellent plays where he got outside the pocket early in the game, went through his progressions, and, and moved the chains that way. But just a great night for Holden. Glad to see him not take a bunch of hits and also get out of the game and rest that shoulder up. And in the receiving game, we talked about Isaiah Winstead. I thought he had his best game as a Pirate. Six catches, 112 yards, still looking for that first ECU touchdown. But, I mean, he made some some awesome contested catches. And 112 receiving yards, an average of 17 yards or nearly 18 yards per catch. And I just thought that at Winstead made a big-time play down the sideline. He told us after the game, it sounds like he basically re-dislocated his finger or, or tweaked it a little bit, banged his head, went into the, the tent, you know, ended up coming out of the tent after getting concussion protocol and passing it, and just ran basically right back on the field. Didn't want to miss a game or didn't want to miss a play. So he made contested catches. He made plays after the catch, 32 yards after the catch. According to Pro Football Focus, a long catch of 34. He made two of three catches in heavy traffic that he was targeted on, according to the PFF, and also had four of his catches go for first down. So great night for Isaiah Winstead. Uh, C.J. Johnson targeted five times, caught every pass, five catches, 91 yards, a touchdown. He just continues to have a steady start to his season, made his only true contested catch in tight coverage. And ECU as a whole, they had five balls thrown in the tight coverage. Three of those were brought in by ECU receivers. Of course, the one by Johnson and two by Winstead. That you know, those are the one-on-one balls you have to make in these types of games or these you know the type of season. If you want to have a really good offense, sometimes you got to turn those 50-50 balls into catches. And to make three of those five plays go for big yardage, that is a difference maker at the end of the day for the Pirates. So a huge night for the receivers. Again, Jalen Johnson gets his first touchdown. Shane Calhoun had the 25-yard catch after Holton went through several of his reads. Ryan Jones finds the end zone again um, after a, uh, I believe, on a third and goal or second and goal, somewhere near the goal line, but he finds the end zone for a second straight week. Aaron Jarman gets a catch in mop-up duty, so three tight ends with receptions. It was also good to see, you know, Macy O'Donnell and Jarrett Garner get in, Kerry King, all those guys were targeted in the passing game. You know, they continue to try and get Josiah Hatfield and Ryan Jones involved with more perimeter plays. You know, it's good to get that on film. Now teams have to prepare for that. 
would like to see some better blocking in those situations. I think uh, Calhoun missed a block on a Ryan Jones screen that ended up resulting in a three or four yard loss. And there was another lateral play to Jones and then a, a jet sweep to Hatfield where the blocking just wasn't good. And certainly in some of those cases, you have to make somebody miss as the ball carrier, but you also have to have a chance. So I thought overall, you know, a lot to be happy with with the receiving core, but also some things that uh, need to continue to get improved and picked up as time goes on. Let's talk about the running backs. Guys, Keaton Mitchell is is special. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. This guy is – I mean, I think we all need to take a moment and realize – what we're watching because I mean to me he's a future NFL back and I think he's going to have to make the transition to be a little bit more of a receiver at the next level to really become a a featured back in the pros but he is just so dynamic excellent vision breaks tackles elite speed I mean the guy could have ran for 300 yards last night if he would have played the entire game. He only played 20-something snaps, and he finished with 185 rushing yards on 13 carries. Didn't even hit his patented, you know, 50, 60, 70-yard run. Just continuously sliced through the defense. Pro Football Focus credited Mitchell with eight forced missed tackles, eight of his runs. Eight of his 13 runs, guys, went for 10-plus yards. He had nine of those runs go for first downs. Man, I mean, just 185 yards, 13 carries, 14.2 yards per carry. I mean, I don't know what more you can say. It was an elite night for Keaton. Rajay ends up finding the the end zone twice. Averages uh, three yards per carry on 13 attempts. And then Marlon Gunn comes in late and uh, absolutely destroyed a Campbell DB. He finishes with five carries for 40 yards. We also saw Mason Garcia get some run late in the game and Garcia ends up going five of seven for 39 yards also had a draw play that go for about 10 yards I thought Mason looked pretty good I mean it was good to see him get his first action of the year I think it was clear and I talked about this on Pirate Radio going into the game you know if you're the coaching staff you got four games to work with why not kind of script this game all right if we take care of business like we should let's get Mason in there and let's let him run the offense and the biggest thing I liked about Mason going in was that they didn't just put him in to hand the football off. They let him throw it. They let, they let him run the offense. Uh, he made some really good throws. You could see the arm talent. He threw one way outside the numbers, I believe, to Kerry King that we just don't see ECU quarterbacks able to make that throw. I mean, that's an NFL caliber throw. Also threw some nice balls with some zip to Jarrett Garner. So you see the talent. I mean, he's he's massive. He's a uh, immense physical specimen. And so, again, needs to continue to come along. There were a few plays where he didn't need to bail the pocket once his first or second read wasn't there, and he did and kind of ran into some trouble. But he also had a nice throw across his body on the run, I believe, to Macy O'Donnell. So just continuing to get him reps, but also continuing to try and maintain his, his eligibility. And he's got three games left to work with, so why not use this game as a great opportunity to get him double-digit snaps Live action, nothing beats live action. I thought he handled himself well. It was a good opportunity, and I thought it was handled well by the coaching staff. We can talk about, hey, should ECU have gone in with the backups a a series sooner? Personally, I would have liked to seen, you know, Garcia, Gunn, and company go in when it was 42-10 to early in the fourth quarter. You know, coaches are always going to err on the side of caution 
they punched that final drive in three plays. I didn't like seeing Keaton Mitchell uh, come off the field gimpy after one of those big runs when you're up 42-10 to 10 against Campbell in the fourth quarter. So if ECU's lucky enough to be in that situation again, hopefully Keaton's out of there. But after that, they put in all the backups, and uh, you know they ended up getting two series. And again, it could have punched, punched another one in late in the game. This is the second week in a row Mike Houston has let off the gas with uh, the backups, and you'll see some teams kind of continue to run there and try to score, but, you know, kudos to Coach Houston. He's as classy as they come. He's not going to run up the score, and uh, I thought that was a very good move, not only last week against ODU, but this week against uh, the Camel Fighting Camels. Defensively, you know, some up and down things. I thought that, you know, the biggest positive, of course, if you shut a team out over the final three quarters, I mean, that's phenomenal. It's the first time ECU has done that since 2015 at UCF. They did get down 10-7, and, you know, they allowed the 61-yard touchdown on a simple, you know, hitch route in the slot. Juwan Powell came up, really good tackler, and he just missed the tackle. And the guy goes 61 yards of pay dirt, nobody runs him down. All of a sudden, you're down 10-7. All of a sudden, everybody in the stadium is kind of, sweating a little bit you kind of have shades of Charleston Southern from last year but after that they settled in and you knew facing Haj Malik Williams that it would take at least a quarter or so to kind of get used to his game speed how he likes to do things how he maneuvers the pocket you can prep for a guy all you want you can scout team him get the looks you want but it's just not the same as facing a true dual threat and he finishes the game at 300 yards passing the football um you know, he threw the ball better than I thought he would. He gained 45 yards on the run. Most of those were scrambles. Outside of that, ECU did an effective job on the ground game. They only allowed 3.1 yards per carry. Got to clean up some things, continue to clean up some stuff with some underneath stuff and the zone defense. The good thing is they didn't allow anybody 50 yards wide open downfield. But some of that, too, is negated by or, or helped by Malik Williams, his ability to to run just freezes the linebackers so much and freezes the safety so much that you have to just kind of play your responsibility and that can open up throwing windows and I thought Williams did a good job of taking advantage of that this is this Campbell team again I don't think they're going to go and you know win the the FCS championship but this is a quality FCS team I think they've got a chance to make the playoffs and make some noise there they've got a Veteran team, huge offensive line, good quarterback. They got to keep him healthy. They got some pieces on defense, and so this is not your, you know, your your what you think of maybe if, as a Campbell football team that just can't play at all. This this team has some pieces. They have some guys that can play for ECU. So um, Malik Williams definitely one of those guys. He showed why ECU's coaching staff was so concerned about him. But again, at the end of the day, you give up ten points. Yeah, you give up 400-plus yards. Uh, they did convert 5 of 15 third downs, which isn't a great number, but also probably ECU won't set a little bit lower. Pirates do, when it counts, they get a huge stop in the second half with a pick with Campbell driving. Chance Bates with a, a gigantic interception, the transfer from Kennesaw State, tipped, by the way, by J.D. Lampley. I didn't even notice it live. Uh Shout out to some guys following the game on the game thread that pointed it out. J.D. Lampley, the defensive tackle, tipped the ball, allowing Bates to intercept it. Pirates go and score, and then they get two more fourth, fourth down stops in consecutive series after that. 
So after the pick, the game just turned on a dime, and ECU turned it into a blowout. Individual performances defensively, I thought Bates played a really good football game. Um, Gerard Stringer continues to play at a high level. Outside of the missed tackle, Jawan Powell I thought was excellent. It's just a shame he had that one play. But, I mean, you take away that one miss. I thought he responded with a vengeance. Uh, Malik Fleming, other cornerback, I thought he played really well. He was my pit-to-click defensively. He only gave up one catch for 19 yards in the game, so I thought he did well. Again, J.D. Lampley for a freshman, continues to play at a high level. And so I thought overall the defense did a lot of good things, and they got a ton of people in. You had 29 guys play on offense. You had 28 guys play on defense. And so there are some things you got to clean up in coverage, and this is great for facing a mobile quarterback like John Reese Plumley down the line. Of course, the flip side is now they can see how he struggled in some areas to contain a mobile quarterback, but I thought there were a lot of good things uh, to take away from this game. And one of those good things was special teams. The Pirates played a clean game on special teams. Owen Daffer attempted seven extra points, and he made all seven. You had a nice kickoff return from a pre-Washington the Buffalo transfer on a short kick. Campbell was clearly worried about kicking the ball deep to Keaton Mitchell. I don't even think he had a kick return. Uh, Macy O'Donnell also had a quality return. And so you you had a good day on special teams. No protection issues. The only gripe I have is you punt the ball from Campbell's, I don't remember the yard line, but in their territory, and Luke Larson kicks it into the end zone got to at least give yourself a shot there to pin them deep even if you're more conservative and you kick it to the to the 15 to the 10 you don't want to punt it there and just kick it into the end zone and it'd be a net of 17 yards or whatever so got to continue to improve the punting game but I thought overall special teams look really solid and they'll continue to be tested against Navy which uh, also has a quality special teams and a really good special teams coach next week. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll continue to break this game down. The Pirates now 2-1 and one on the season with a 49-10 win over Campbell. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Just giving some immediate reaction and takes to East Carolina's second win of the season over the Camel Fighting Camels. We've got extensive post-game coverage up on hoistcolors.net. We've got player interviews with Holt Nailers, Tegan Wilk, Isaiah Winstead, and also Keith Mitchell. We've got the full press conference with Mike Houston. So check that out, hoistcolors.net. We always do that stuff for home games and hopefully for road games going forward as well. I know I'll be at South Florida uh, and we'll continue to, to cover the team on the road 
as much as possible, especially if they continue to win. Um, had our uh, snap counts up as well. You can go look at our breakdown of the personnel used by the time this podcast is up. I should have the player grades up from the contest, the uh, best performances of Saturday's game via Pro Football Focus. And just wanted to highlight some of their initial grades here that as their evaluators have done their initial grading. For those unfamiliar, Pro Football Focus is an analytics-based website, and they'll go through and they'll do the game film. Now, the initial grades are based off the TV copy, so it is important to mention that what you see on TV is what they're grading off of. And then later in the week, usually about two or three days later, they get the coach's film, which is an all-22. That's what they call it, so you can see all 22 players on the field at one time from a very up-top high angle. And then you'll see some grades maybe adjust because maybe you don't know the responsibility of the safety because you can't see them on the screen on the TV copy or something like that. So some of the grades change, but more times than not, what they have initially is pretty spot on. Uh, they have uh, Holt Nailers with and, – and then I should mention the grades are done on a scale of 1 to 100 or 0 to 100. So I've seen a few zero grades in my lifetime. Um, and so anything above 60 is considered good. I mean, if you're in the 70 and above range, you're really good. 80, excellent. 90 plus is elite. ECU in this game, unsurprisingly, had three players grade out elite on offense. Holton Aylers with the highest 92.1 offensive grade. Keaton Mitchell with a 91.9. C.J. Johnson with a 91.7, Isaiah Winstead, 80.6. So those are your highest-graded offensive players. A really good day for ECU's tackles. Parker Moore and Noah Henderson graded out extremely well. And I thought that was a key to the game because they had to handle the Campbell defensive end, Brevin Allen, who last year really was kind of a game-wrecker and really got to teams and um, – ECU overall just played a really good game. Brevin Allen did get three pressures, but only three hurries, no sacks. And so the tackles held up well on the edge. They gave Holt Naylor's time to survey the field, do their thing. By the way, conversely, Haj Malik Williams was the one Campbell player, unsurprisingly, to grade out extremely well on offense. He earned at 835 Per pro football focus so he played an excellent game and I, I don't I think he definitely deserves that type of grade um, other standouts Nashad Strother left guard had a really good game Justin Red also with an above average grade at left tackle Mason Garcia Jalen Johnson Richard Pierce also graded out well above average defensively some of the standouts via pro football focus it was good to see Rick DeBrew get back and he only played nine snaps but got back in the rotation Actually earned the highest grade initially from PFF with a 76.8. So hopefully we continue to see more of Rick going forward. We know his talent level. He's just got to continue to bring it every day in practice. Chance Chance Bates had a really good day, 72.5 grade. Elijah Robinson came in late. He got a sack. He graded out well in his six snaps. Then we mentioned Gerard Stringer, Jawan Powell, Malik Fleming, J.D. Lampley in that range as well. So a lot of good performances. Um defensively you know one guy that really stands out to me on special teams right now is Devin King former Marshall transfer he had three tackles in the game he played six defensive snaps but he did most of his damage on special teams just flying down the field 
laying the wood and this staff has done a good job of kind of finding some really good contributors and safety depth and linebacker depth either via the transfer portal or via the juco route we also saw juco safety brandon higgs make a nice tackle on special teams and just the depth right now across the board it's just at such a good level that special teams coverage has been really good for that reason um you know the protection issues have been more on the you know, on the field goal units, obviously the offensive line, they're getting hammered right now, or they were getting hammered leading into this past game, according to Mike Houston, uh, just to clean up the issues. But from an athletic standpoint, the way this defense runs, you're seeing that on kick coverage and punt coverage right now. I think those units look very good. You know, we've talked about the issues with special teams in in the kicking game, but I think the coverage game has been really, really solid through three contests and Hopefully that continues going forward. And, again, Devin King, Chance Bates also made a nice tackle on special teams. So those guys are a big part of that. So those are some of your highest individual standout performances. And, again, check it out, hoistacolors.net. We'll have full player grades. If you are a subscriber on the site, we have all these breakdowns every single week after every game, along with our previews going into games. And um, so check that out, hoistacolors.net, later today east carolina has been dominant in the second half through three games 64 to 14 they're outscoring their opponents right now in the third and fourth quarters and we talk so much about big john what he's doing in the weight room and what mike houston has entrusted him with with kind of the culture and obviously the conditioning of this football team and we've seen glimpses of it in the past, but this this year it just seems to really be taking hold. And you know, we 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 hammered from talking points the first two years of the Mike Houston era so much about staying patient, stick with the process, the development of the program, and everything we talked about during those times when it was frustrating, when ECU was going four and eight, when they were going three and six, and they were struggling, and people were wanting to see Holton Ayler's benched and replaced by a, another you know, quarterback, and they, they wanted to see ECU quit running the football so much and banging his head against a, a brick wall and being physical and all that stuff. Well, we're finally seeing all that pay off with the product we are seeing on the field now, and there's no more place that is indicative of that than the second-half score. Again, 64-14 to 14 through three games. That is dominance in the second half, and a lot of that, guys, is – I remember even during a long Campbell drive during the first half, I can't remember if it ended with a touchdown or a missed field goal, but you started that drive with one set of defensive linemen. Campbell made a few first downs, got to midfield. They're rotating in. You got some safety, some linebackers rotating in. Campbell picks up a few more first downs, and they rotate in. Basically a whole other quadrant near the red zone. And – you keep rotating those guys in and out, in and out, in and out, and maybe you don't get to stop that drive, but all that depth, that comes out in the third, fourth quarter when you can continue to roll those guys in and out. They have fresher legs than the Campbell 360-pound offensive tackle who's been playing the whole game or the ODU left guard who's been playing the whole game who has just gotten fresh body at their fresh body blitz at them. And, you know, you're seeing that start to pay off. That's why they rotate early in games as well as late in games you want to keep those guys fresh throughout and 
Um, the depth right now defensively is is the best I've seen in years. Offensively, the top end talent at the skill positions is the best I've seen in a very long time. I mean, this ECU team has a chance to be very good. They just got to continue to stick with the process, stay healthy. But we're seeing everything this coaching staff has kind of built for, and they're still building, but everything they've kind of put together, we're seeing it pay off with the product we are now. And I'm not trying to say ECU is a top 25 team after beating Campbell 49 to 10. This is what they should be doing. This is what ECU football should be. When you play Campbell, when you play Charleston Southern, you should win the game in pretty dominant fashion. And so it's just a continued maturation of this program, getting back to where it it was, where it needs to be. And I think it's only going to continue to get better going forward. So a, a lot of positives to take away from these first three games. I mean, the reality is we should be talking about a team that's 3-0 and with a top 15 win. NC State looked pretty dominant against Texas Tech last last night. Um, I still don't know if they're a top 15 team. They're definitely a top 25 team. ECU dominated that second half, should have won the game. And Old Dominion goes to UVA, scores a go-ahead touchdown with a minute left, and then falls on a last-second field goal. So we're talking about an Old Dominion team that beat Virginia Tech, which has looked good since week one or looked better, and then should have gone to UVA and won that football game. And ECU handled them pretty well in the fourth quarter and in the second half. So... A lot of positives right now about this football team. But, of course, we haven't even gotten to conference play yet. That starts this coming week. We all know what the 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 bear that is the Navy triple option. I don't care how bad Navy looked the first two games. They had a bye week to get ready for ECU. There's great familiarity with the Pirates coaching staff and with Navy's coaching staff. You know, when, ECU, or when uh, Mike Houston was at the Citadel, and I think at Lenore Ryan, they visited with Navy about the triple option because that's what Houston used to run in his previous stops before James Madison. So there's a lot of mutual respect there. Navy's got an excellent coaching staff and with a bye week to kind of fix some things. I think they're going to be extremely dangerous going into this football game. Um, so we'll see what happens. we got plenty of time to preview Navy throughout the week. we got plenty of time to talk triple option. It's just going to be a test. I don't care how good or bad Navy is. This is just an extremely different week. Mike Houston said it best. This is one of those, you barely watch the Campbell film, if at all, just because you have to get ready for the triple option so much heading into Saturday's game against the midshipmen. So um, before we go, I wanted to give a shout-out to the crowd. 43,000, more than 43,000 fans attended Campbell uh, the Campbell game on Saturday night. I thought it was an excellent atmosphere I know Parents Weekend, Family Weekend always bumps up the number because of the tickets distributed with that, but I thought a lot of people showed up. It wasn't just tickets distributed. The entire lower bowl was full. The upper deck was sparse, but, I mean, you're not going to have 50,000 in 2022 when you're one-on-one facing the Campbell fighting Campbells. And so to have 43,000, that's a statement in itself, and I thought the fans were into the game. Even the section over in the corner – not in the official boneyard in the end zone, but even in that corner that's never full, that was full. So that shows you the students and their family showed up. They packed the lower bowl. Again, great atmosphere. Any recruits who were in attendance, I'm sure, were impressed. Uh, so I, I just can't say enough about Pirate Nation. It's good to get that uh, attendance back, trending in the right direction. Fourth consecutive home game. I know it's tough. Every weekend in September, taken up by a home football game. I know you guys want to go to the beach, but hey, show up one more week. 
Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. This is a big game. Conference opener, Navy. If ECU wants to contend for a conference championship, which is their goal, they have to win this football game. And it's not going to be easy. Navy's going to be thinking the same. They can't fall to 0-2. And conference play also already with a loss to Memphis. So this is a big game this Saturday. Navy is looking at it like, hey, we started 0-2. We had an early season bye week to get our season back on track. And ECU is looking at it like a, this is our time to, to make a statement. We can beat Navy. We can uh, make a run at this conference championship after years of developing. And that's kind of what they're thinking. So big weekend ahead. They're all big at this point. Pirates are playing good football, and it's just fun to be covering a, a quality product once again as ECU defeats Campbell 49-10. to That will do it for our initial reactions podcast. With Navy on the clock, we'll probably treat it similar to East Carolina. We're not going to dive into this Campbell game, but so much. We might have another podcast following up on it, but we will be full triple option conference preview in the days ahead as we continue on the Hoisty Colors podcast and start American Athletic Conference. All right, thank you guys for listening to the Voice of Colors podcast. We'll be back with you later. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.